Hello, listeners. I am Nzinga Curry, AUSA's Director of Education and Programs, and this is the Army Real Talk segment of AUSA's Army Matters podcast series. In 2020, AUSA, along with the U.S. Army, hosted several webinars and podcasts on diversity and inclusion, holding conversations with Army senior leaders, junior-level leaders, as well as Army families. AUSA, along with the Army, continue to have such conversations, as well as implementing various initiatives and programs. This year, AUSA has chartered an Equality, Diversity, and Inclusion Advisory Committee. I, along with five other members, led by AUSA's President and CEO, General Retired Carter Ham, am charged with researching, developing, and proposing mechanisms that will help create a supportive, positive, and inclusive work environment at AUSA's national headquarters. In addition, AUSA continues to maximize our effectiveness in interacting with one another, our members, and other partners. This aligns with the U.S. Army's messaging in prioritizing people. Today, I am joined by Lieutenant General Gary Brito, Army G1 and Tri-Chair Partner of the People First Task Force, and Mr. Ansel Beach, Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Army. Equity and Inclusion Agency, which leads the Project Inclusion Initiative. I am also joined with my guest co-host, Lieutenant General Retired Patricia McChristian. General McChristian, who is a former Vice President at AUSA, also retired from the U.S. Army after completing 35 years of uniformed service in a variety of positions, but primarily in logistics and supply chain solutions. She has had an extensive career and has a wealth of knowledge. That is why I am honored to have her join us for this important discussion. Welcome, General McChristian. Thank you so much, Nzinga. I'm thrilled to be included in this session and very grateful for all that AUSA continues to do to support our great Army. It's a real privilege for me to introduce our guest today. As you heard, Mr. Anselm Beach is the Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Army Equity and Inclusion Agency and serves as the Secretary of the Army's designated proponent for diversity and inclusion, civil rights, equal employment opportunity, military equal opportunity career program, and policy and oversight of Army Command programs. He brings a wealth of experience to the Army from his previous positions, notably including as the Acting Executive Director for the Privacy and Diversity Office of the U.S. Customs and Border Protection, Department of Homeland Security, and as a lead equal employment opportunity officer within the Department of Veterans Affairs. We also get to hear from a superb officer, Lieutenant General Gary Brito. He's currently the Army's 49th Deputy Chief of Staff G1. As such, he's responsible for developing, managing, and executing manpower and personnel plans, programs, and policies for the total Army. That's the regular Army, the Army National Guard, and the U.S. Army Reserve. General Brito's had so many assignments in his 34-year Army career so far. I'll highlight just a few. He's a career infantry officer, he served as the commanding general of the Maneuver Center of Excellence and Fort Benning, Georgia, as the commanding general of the Joint Readiness Training Center and Fort Polk, Louisiana, both deputy commanding general for sustainment, my favorite, and then later deputy commanding general for operations for the 25th Infantry Division at Schofield Barracks, Hawaii. He's also been the director of Force 2025 and beyond at the U.S. Army Capabilities and Integration Center, a key part of the training and doctrine command is deployed to both Iraq and Afghanistan. Thank you both so much for joining us and for all you do for soldiers, civilians, and families. 
And Singa, over to you. Thank you, General. Very impressive, very, very impressive. But before we jump in too far with the questions, I would love for us to start with the explanation of equity and inclusion. Mr. Beach, will you please discuss exactly what is being referenced when we talk about equity and inclusion? Thank you so much. And I think that's a really important question because as most of us would realize in this conversation, we normally talk about equality. And so I think when we talk about equity, we need first to start with equality because equity has evolved from equality. We are familiar with equality from the 14th Amendment, from the Bill of Rights, and then foundational to diversity, equity, inclusion would be the 1964 Civil Rights Act, right, which talks about equal employment in the workplace. So the layperson would normally think about equality in the construct that everybody gets the same thing. And when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, what we are doing is that we are moving from a rules-based to more of a principles-based. And so instead of saying that everybody gets the same thing, in the Army, what we are talking about in terms of equity is recognizing that each person has different circumstances. And so as we allocate resources and opportunities, we need to bear in mind that we are looking at having an outcome as opposed to having somebody given something. So to make that a little bit clearer, I would say like for civilian employment, we say that everybody gets a computer. But if I am blind, it means that in addition to the computer, I need to have an operating system that allows me to provide the outcome that the Army wants. In the combat environment, we think about body armor. And we know for women, the body armor would fit differently for men. So we need to think about how do we size body armor for our female soldiers? So that is what we're talking about when we talk about equity, is ensuring that the outcome that we want to get is applied based on the unique circumstances of the individuals within our army. In terms of inclusiveness, what we're talking about is really valuing what each person brings and integrating their perspectives and their specialized knowledge, skills, and abilities so that at the end of the day, we are creating cohesive teams and we are helping the Army to solve complex problems while fighting and winning the nation's wars. That's excellent. Mr. Beach, I'm going to follow up just a bit on that to tell you talk about inclusion. So it's been almost a year since the Army stood up Project Inclusion. What's the latest news on what the Army is doing to address diversity, equity, and inclusion, please? So another fantastic question, because you say it's been a year. Sometimes we think it's a little bit longer than that, because we've had a myriad of activities going on in this one year. So specifically, project inclusion really is the Army's approach to get to some diversity, equity, inclusion in states. Foundational to project inclusion is the diversity, equity, and inclusion annex to the Army People's Strategy. This is significant because it's not only the Army's five-year strategic plan, it also meets the requirements of the National Defense Authorization Act and 21. And what it does, it lays out five goals and 25 objectives, which we are actually moving through, and through a very tiered process and a very deliberate process, move the Army to those end states that we desire to get to. Just as a segue and as some other quick bullets around what we've been doing in Project Inclusion, we have removed the DA photo from promotion boards, for example. We have developed the Army's Officer Diversity Plan. We have developed the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Outreach and Engagement Plan, which allows us to reach out to affinity groups to include organizations such as historically black colleges and universities 
Hispanic Association of Colleges and Universities. And that's just really to name a few of those. So somebody might say, well, why are we doing this? Well, part of it is because as the Army, we want to make sure that we could get the best and the brightest talent that's available across the nation. And we are implementing diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy, not because we want to be representative of the nation, that's fine, but ultimately what we want to do is to ensure that we get the talent that the Army needs to function in the 21st century and beyond. This is really about ensuring that we are ready to fight and win in both spaces, right, on the battlefield and on the talent front. And as we face complex problems within the Army, diversity, equity, inclusion is one way that we could drive innovation across the force to ensure that we have the people that we need and that when we get them into our army, soldier or civilian, that they feel included and they're helping us to get to those outcomes that I stated earlier. Mr. Beach, thank you so much for just that thorough explanation. I love the examples, but most of all, I'm really happy to hear the different strategies that are being implemented. But I wanna shift to General Brito. So sir, what is the People's First Task Force and how does it contribute to bringing trust within the Army? or in the Army, how does increasing trust impact, of course, equity and inclusion? Thank you for that very important question, specifically to the People's First Task Force. I will take you back about eight months ago, and the People's First Task Force was established by the then former Secretary of the Army, Honorable McCarthy, to give a very close, accurate examination and take action on the report, the nine findings and 70 recommendations that came from the Fort Hood Independent Review Committee that specifically looked at the incidents around the unfortunate murder of Specialist Vanessa Guillen that took place at Fort Hood. And of course, the Army continued to investigate it along with the support of an independent review committee. So the bluff to your answer, the task force was stood up not too long after Thanksgiving and officially on December 10th, the secretary announced the nine findings and 70 recommendations that came from that five-person Fort Hood Independent Review Committee. At that time, the Army accepted all nine findings and 70 recommendations and made a commitment to take action on them, not only for Fort Hood, Texas in Third Corps, more broadly apply those that needed to be applied towards the Army. I'll just pick a small example, issues we may have with sexual assault. So applying those to the broader army. That is the specific focus of the task force, of which, as mentioned in the introductory remarks, I am one of the three co-chairs. I would say that this task force is stood up here in headquarters department of the Army. However, it does have membership, or should I say liaisons and representation from the units across the total army, all three components and all of the staffs on the Army. Like, for example, we need a legal representation and legal rep, so he's on the task force as well. Now, to talk on the second part of your questions, although the task force was stood up specifically on the nine findings and recommendations, one thing I would like to mention, that we're taking a holistic look at all the programs that impact the resiliency and the health of our force. And I would like to share that some guidance received was to be unconstrained in the ideas now, if you look at that, that guidance is pretty powerful. You have an opportunity to do an analysis of what we have in the Army, an analysis of what can work, and be innovative in thought, and where that impacts building of trust. And I'll take risk in quoting our chief of staff, paraphrasing a little bit. It's key, key, that we build cohesive teams led and boarded with dignity and respect. 
And if you look at a cohesive team of young men and women, old men and women, of all ranks, all specialties, all nationalities, all religions, all genders, if you have a cohesive team, he or she will have the trust to look to the left and right and know that the battle buddy will take care of them. So if you have a well-trained, disciplined team, a well-trained, cohesive, disciplined team with dignity and respect and combat ready, we will meet our Army mission of being ready to deploy, fight, win our battles, and come back. So that cohesiveness is key. And having that trust, not only in your battle buddy left or right, but your subordinates, your leadership, the institution, the installation, and the policies and programs that govern our Army, all that is critical. Now, to go to the last part of the question, as I understood it, you have a strong individual, part of a cohesive team that is glued well together, combat ready, trained, dignity and respect, and just so happens that team, whether it's a platoon, a squad, a cook section, a finance section, they're going to represent all 50 states plus the territories. And if you do that, you're going to represent all the genders. You're going to represent all races, all nationalities, all religions. And all of that does nothing but provide a strong foundation for equity and inclusion. That dignity, cohesion, and respect in a cohesive team serves as a foundation for equity and inclusion in what we do. And we at the Department of the Army level just need to ensure that our policies and programs are not barriers, but more something that allows us to get to that. Thank you, sir, so much. That was very, very interesting. I appreciate you sharing that information because it needed to be heard. So, Mr. Beach, you spoke about a couple of strategies a little bit earlier, and I would love it if you would elaborate as well as talk about recent DEI initiatives the Army has put in place. One of the things that we say is that in terms of the Army, we were actually practicing diversity, equity, and inclusion before it became in vogue and cool. Obviously, it's a work in progress, so it's a journey. It's a state that you never really arrive at. And so towards that journey, what we have been doing, again, with diversity, equity, and inclusion annexed to the Army People's Strategy as the foundational document, we have been moving from concept into action. And so I just would tell you about a few of the actions from the initiatives that we have taken recently. So I would tick through a few things. So the first thing is that we have actually now incorporated diversity, equity, inclusion training into professional military education at all levels, up to colonel level at the pre-command course. So we have revised the training and we have matriculated it so that somebody new to the Army would get one level of training. And as you move up through the ranks, as part of this continuing conversation and dialogue about diversity, equity, inclusion, your training would be different. And that goes all the way up to the pre-command course for colonels. The other thing is that we have looked in terms of the Army combat fitness test. We have added an alternate event, right? So we have now also updated the grooming standards in Army Regulation 670-1. We have looked at the 12-month deployment deferment after the birth of a child. We have also developed an engagement guide for leaders to help focus on Army leadership's role in creating a diverse, equitable, and inclusive environment. 
And as you know, we talked about doing the listening sessions, we know that it's not really intuitive and some of the conversations could be really hard. So we have also developed a facilitation guide for Your Voice Matters listening session. And that guide could be used by leaders at all levels. Thank you, Mr. Beach. These efforts are just so important. I'm really proud of what the Army is doing to make itself better by these really hard internal looks. I know this is not easy business. People business is the most important. So I'm going to go back to General Brito and ask you if you could talk just a little bit more about the Army's people first priority, the impact that that's having on the conversations inside the Army about equity and inclusion, things like what are soldiers and civilians doing and how can this conversation impact your work in the personnel initiatives realm? Sure, thank you. Clearly a nesting or nexus between all that Mr. Beach mentioned and the people's first. Our Army, our Chief of Staff and our Secretary have three priorities, people, modernization, and reform. And the people is not only a priority, but a philosophy that's guiding all that we do. So if you look at it in competing for talent, So recruit that talent, train that talent, retain that talent is necessary for combat readiness, period. And our Army exists to fight and win this nation's wars. And there's lots of ways to do that, training, equipment. But if you nest those three priorities of people, modernization, and reforming as necessary, and I would call that a circular way, you will always be combat ready, ready to fight your nation's wars and come back. So in recruiting the best training the best, and retaining the best, our policies and personnel policies and practices need to be able to attract talent, retain talent, train talent, give options to the young men and women enlisted or leaders that join and want to stay in. It's critical that we are able to compete for talent because there is competition, one of the services, of course, in the outside business. If I pick somebody that has a skill in cyber, chances are they could probably make more money somewhere else working for somebody else, but there's things within the Army we can do to attract them, recruit them, retain them, and keep them. Now, specifically to your point, on to your question on equity inclusion, tied to our Army's people strategy and a diversity, equity, inclusion annex, as Mr. Beach mentioned, we clearly have taken a wide view at any barriers that may have gotten in the way or will get in the way from keeping any soldier with the will, discipline, and training to reach his or her goals within their talents. So everything we have should accommodate just that, not be a barrier for just that. If it's something that may have been in our policies that created unconscious bias, Mr. Beach mentioned the photos, we should eliminate that barrier. And that's just but one example. So at my level in the personnel policies and initiatives, looking at promotion boards, we've already have implemented some Army directives that just simply make things easier to do and more accommodating for all of the ranks of our soldiers. And not to oversimplify this, but if question is one is how do I apply people first at the programs and policies at the DA level, you'll make that a priority. And it's going to nest with modernization. It's going to nest with reform. And one last example, you can make the best rifle or the best next tank in the world, but without the best soldier that can operate it, people that's well-trained and wants to do his or her job, it's all for naught. So people versus the philosophy and a priority is where it all starts. That is so important. And I want to kind of elaborate on that, but I'll say make a quick laugh. Mr. Beach, so thinking about what General Brittles just shared, from your perspective, 
when we talk about people first, how important is it to actually talk about diversity within the military? How is the Your Voice Matters tour going? I would say that the Your Voice Matters listening sessions are going quite well. Just a quick recap on, we started these uh, a year ago in the aftermath of George Floyd's death to provide a forum for soldiers and civilians to really talk about these issues, right? Talk about, you know, people first, to talk about diversity, equity, inclusion. We know that conversations were happening and we needed to be a part of those conversations because their lived experiences, their stories of our soldiers and civilians uh, tantamount to how we put people first, understanding those so that we could properly formulate policies and actions. So to date, we have conducted over 100 listening sessions and we've been to 16 different installations. We have engaged over 5,700 soldiers and civilians both in person and virtually. And yeah, it has been a little bit challenging, especially trying to navigate that in the COVID environment. And in terms of the Your Voice Matters and People First, one of the resounding things that we hear from our soldiers and civilians is the appreciation that the Army has really paused and set aside some time when their stories, when their lived experiences could be front and center in the conversation as we think about how we formulate these policies. So you might probably be thinking, okay, you guys have been to 16 installations. You've talked to all these soldiers and civilians. So what are you doing? And I would say that would be a great question. So what we've done is that we have, based on the information that we've gathered on these listening sessions, we have taken that information and analyzed it and developed 20 themes that are central to these conversations. What we have done with these 20 themes is that we have now developed enterprise-wide approaches to fill in any gaps identified within those themes. So think about that for one moment. Last year, we set out to hear from our force. This year, we are working on enterprise-wide solutions to what we have heard from the force and operationalizing those. So now we have an enterprise-wide approach based on what we have heard from our soldiers and civilians. Just kind of, you know, think about that for a minute. I would like to say that not a lot of organizations have really put the time and rigor in hearing from their people and actually putting the effort in to create this action-oriented posture based on what they've heard. So if you think about it in another way, what we have is this kind of feedback loop where we have heard and now we are taking action. And so once we've completed the entire review of the Army, all the installations, we would go back out and we would also say, these are some of the things that are happening right now. We are messaging what we've done so far, but we would go back out and we would say, when we were here at Fort Bragg last time, these were some of the things that came up. This was what the Army Headquarters DA took in terms of policy at the Fort Bragg leadership. These are the actions that they've undertaken. How is that impacting you now? What are your experiences now so that we could continue this cycle of continuous improvement based on what we're hearing and this feedback loop that we are getting from our soldiers and civilians across the Army. Thank you so much, Mr. Beach. That's just phenomenal. I can't wait to hear all of the good ideas that you're gonna promulgate throughout the force. I'm gonna to go to General Brito again and ask him specifically about in his position as the Army G1, how do you and your staff contribute to the diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts? Just a chance to talk about what your staff is doing. Certainly. Working very well nested with our ASA MNRA, Assistant Secretary of Army Manpower and Reserve Affairs, 
who writes the policy. And that's critical and that they also authored, I guess it's about six months ago, Army People Strategy crosses two-year inception date. And part of that, as Mr. Beach mentioned, are initiatives on diversity inclusion, civilian implementation plan, and some others. So to put my operational language on it, policy is written, and we're the executing staff across the Army to ensure that that policy is executed, adhered to, and as important, assessed to see how we're doing. And the strategy also lists measures of effectiveness so that we see how we're doing. Now, that coordination of the policy is not only internal to the Army staff or within G1 proper, but working with our external Army commands, such as USUR, FORCECOM, and TRADOC, who has the responsibility to implement portions of the Army People strategy, to bluff it, ensure that the objectives listed in the strategy are executed horizontally and vertically across the Army, and provide some feedback to the MNRA for adjustments to policy if necessary. To narrow the focus specifically for those that address diversity, equity, and inclusion, to ensure that they're doing just that. And from talking to the units, assessing our measures of effectiveness, taking the time to red team ourselves, or put another way, to look in the mirror and see that the programs and policies are working for the betterment and improvement of all of our soldiers who raise their right hand to join and serve, regardless of their ranks. Well, it's a huge job, and I wish you all the greatest success in the world, and I know you're the perfect person for it. I'm going to go to Mr. Beach for the next question. So the Army recently approved its officer diversity plan. In your perspective, what does that mean, not just for soldiers, but for civilians as well? Yes. So it means that, you know, with the Office of Diversity Plan, looking back in January, former Secretary McCarthy and the Chief of Staff, General McConville, signed this plan, right? This plan really fulfills one of the 126 tasks that were laid out in our Army People's Strategy, the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Annex. I give you that background so you could see that there's a through line, that all these are very synchronized and integrated efforts that gets back to the Army People's Strategy. This implementation plan really is designed to focus necessary resources and to get leader attention to enhance our diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. So the implementation plan really covers four objectives. It's how we acquire talent that reflects our demographics within the population. It's how we include the diversity considerations and how we train, educate, and assess opportunities and it really looks at diversity considerations in assignment and evaluation of promotion and retention outcomes. And lastly, it really, again, focuses on how we retain diverse talent. So the takeaway from all that really is that as we mature this plan, our soldiers and civilians can see representation of a nation reflected within our ranks. And it also means that we are also better positioned in that whole talent war space to best compete for talent and how once we get that talent, we develop that talent to get the outcomes that we want for our Army. You know, Britta, my question for you is, what can soldiers and civilians do to be more inclusive in their lives on and off the clock? Sure, thanks. There's a lot packed in that question, but I'd like to give just a few thoughts. We are a value-based Army, a profession. Everybody that joins takes an oath. We have ethics that drive our behaviors and share those standards with the soldiers left or right of you. Now, to make it a little closer to the soldier, reach out. You know, be comfortable being uncomfortable a bit. You know, train hard, 
take time to maybe talk to somebody that might not look like you, that might not have grown up in the same environment that you've grown up in. But one common theme that U.S. Army, and we all share those values, those ethics, the oath. If I may bump it up a few pay grades, create opportunities where you have everybody together. We benefit from those common standards, but yet learn about each other's diversity, their backgrounds, and everything that just makes them them, the type of person that they are. I may bump it up one more grade, invite opportunities for innovation. You might find out something from a young soldier from New York City and a different soldier from the Everglades of Florida. So invite those types of opportunities. And just think a little differently. If I may share with you one opportunity we had about six months ago, back in March, And this is tied to the first question on the People's First Task Force. We had an event called the Solarium, which they did at the Military Academy. And that Solarium brought in junior soldiers, young enlisted and young officers from all three components, all MOSs, all specialties, in civilian clothes, so you had no idea, I'm a private, you're a lieutenant, and gave a couple problem sets. One was on diversity and racism and extremism. One was on suicide. And just allowed them to give some thoughts and how they looked at it from their lens and some solutions and problems. Very, very, very powerful. As the days went on, it was a five-day event, being uncomfortable day one. And by day two, everybody was gelled together. And that's an example of doing some out-of-the-box thinking, something innovative. Fantastic. So this podcast is originally broadcasting on the Army's 246th birthday. First of all, happy birthday to everyone. For our last question, going out to both of you, let's start with Mr. Beach. Just a final opportunity, how far has our Army come since its inception to today, our 246th birthday, regarding these issues around equity, inclusion, and diversity? Just final thoughts. I would say that the Army continues to make significant progress in this particular space. And as we continue down this path, what we're doing is actually moving into this kind of new paradigm moving beyond representation to really value the contributions of all soldiers and civilians to making the Army not just a better Army, but in terms of creating a stronger Army that continues to protect our nation so that we could continue and fight and win our nation's wars. Lastly, I would simply say, you know, we also want to lead a national conversation. And we want to lead a national conversation because sometimes it seems like this could be a difficult conversation. But in the Army, we want to focus really on three things. One, who our people are, how they show up, and what they bring. And I think as we start having a conversation around these kind of three questions, I think that race and gender and all those other things that kind of make it so hard to have the conversation become second place because we are recognizing that we have unique talents among us, that people bring certain skill sets, and these skill sets are needed, and we need to optimize that talent because The world is still a dangerous place, and we have complex problems that we need to solve. Thank you very much. And General Brito, any final thoughts? Yes, I I would probably echo all that Mr. Beach just said, but you can take us back over 70 years ago, an executive order at the end of World War II, uh, formally desegregating the Army was a definite step. And I would would argue and suggest that over over the many decades up till now, if there was something that the Army had to deal with, they have, and we have. Uh, any societal problems to be better than these problems in society. And it, it, although I'm a, I'm a bit uncomfortable saying this personally, but the Army has 
done a superb job at offering mentorship, role models, and opportunities for people to do things. Uh, 30 years ago, I was going to do four years and get out. And have been blessed with the opportunities, mentorship, and leadership to be standing here today as a general officer in the Army. And two, three decades ago, that wouldn't happen as frequently as it can now. So, yes, I would definitely say our military and our Army is taking this seriously, will continue to take this seriously, and we should. General Brito, I'm so glad you spoke about mentorship and even your personal experience because I actually have an unplanned question for the three of you. I am sitting here, I guess virtually somewhat, but I am honored to be able to speak to the three of you. The three of you have a very successful career. Your career is very impressive. I am thrilled and honored because of who I am and what I represent for AUSA and beyond to be able to have such a conversation with you. And so I want to learn a little bit more about each of you, just a tad bit more about your story. And so I am going to ask all, including you too, General McChristian, to share a little bit about who or what attributed to your success, who added value or who was a mentor, who essentially blessed you to help you to get where you are. And so I, I do believe in ladies first. And so I will ask General McChristian, if you would not mind sharing who or what would you attribute to your success, reflecting on your background, and then now who you are today. And Zinga, you have caught me a little off guard. Look, I served for 35 years in the Army. I joined the Army in 1980, and just like Gary Brito said, I planned to do four years, and then I was going to get out. But it's not just one person. It's everybody. It's the people in the Army that make it so challenging and pleasurable and meaningful to serve. So, you know, looking back over my 35-year career, I've always said I wouldn't change much. But when I think about what you all are doing to make the Army so much better for people going forward, I think I join all over again and do it in a whole different way. So thank you all so much for what you do. It's been a real honor to be part of this. Thank you, ma'am. And it has been an honor working indirectly for you and continue to have an opportunity to work with you. So thank you for sharing that. Mr. Beats, would you share a little bit about who would you credit or who would you attribute or what would you attribute your success of who you are today? I grew up in a little island in the Caribbean called St. Vincent. And if somebody told me that one day I would move to the United States enlist in the world's greatest army and then be in a senior executive position in the government, I'd probably laugh at them. But I did, in fact, come to this country and uh, join the army while I lived in New York City. And as I think about the time that I spent, uh, spent in the army, my mind actually goes back to my first duty station, which is Fort Stewart, Georgia. And I remember Staff Sergeant Hill who was my platoon sergeant, who one day came down and gave me an assignment to go out and service generators. If you've ever been at Fort Stewart, Georgia, you know how hot it gets in the summer in the afternoons. And so I was miserable going out there, and I remember mumbling things while I was out there, and then realized, you know, having that kind of moment when you feel as though you're not alone, and looking around and seeing my platoon sergeant behind me, and thinking that he was just gonna nail me to the wall. And he took the time to kind of teach me and said, I think you got a lot of potential, but if you want to be a good leader, you got to be a good follower. And these are some of the things that you need to do. 
And I think those have been very instructional for me as I try to navigate a career through the Army and now as a civilian. So I think those were kind of very pivotal moments. But it really goes to the power of people and the talent that we have in the Army that they could identify other talent and provide opportunities for mentorship to move them up. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. And yes, the best leaders provide the best service. So thank you so much. General Brito, will you share a bit about who or what attributed to your success? I'll give just one story because I don't want to keep us up here for an hour. But my very first week in my first assignment in Germany as a second lieutenant, it was had an in-processing week I had to go to. And while I was in-processing, there was an out-processing, a master sergeant in the Army. I don't even recall his name. I think it was Rodriguez. He was getting out and retiring and happened to be a Vietnam vet as well. He said, hey, LT, let me give you some advice. Always work for your soldiers and not for your OER, your evaluation report, and everything will be just fine. They'll take care of you. That sounds kind of broad and simplistic, but to this very day, I used it as a guidepost for everything I did and use it as a guidepost today. And it keeps you on a moral compass to do what's right and make sure you are the best leader that they deserve and their mothers and fathers expect of you. And I'll leave with that. Excellent, excellent. You are a true servant leader. Thank you. Thank you, sir. I thank you both. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today to discuss the People First Task Force and Project Inclusion and sharing a little bit about yourself. The information you shared is truly, truly valuable as we continue to have such discussions. And General McChristian, ma'am, thank you so much for joining me as my guest co-host. I appreciate all that you continue to do for the Army as well as for AUSA. Thank you, thank you, everybody. To all our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Army Matters Podcast on iTunes and everywhere podcasts are found. The Army Matters Podcast series is brought to you by the Association of the United States Army, the U.S. Army's professional association, member-supported, Army-connected. Visit us at ausa.org for more information or to become a member. Your membership helps AUSA continue to carry out its mission to educate, inform, and connect with the total Army, our industry partners, and our supporters of a strong national defense. For questions or to provide topic recommendations, email us at podcast at Have a great Army day. Hua.